Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Malka Sports. Find them online at malkasports.com. Another great guest lined up for you this week, NFL star Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champion and the CEO of Malcolm Inc. The New Orleans Saints' strong safety discusses his growing business portfolio, which includes Broad Street Ventures, Disrupt Foods, and the Malcolm Jenkins Foundation. We also discuss his efforts with social justice for the NFL. He's a contributor to CNN. Maybe he has a future in broadcasting after he hangs up his cleats. And then what are the Saints going to look like without recently retired quarterback Drew Brees? Terrific conversation with Malcolm Jenkins on our show this week. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing great. And uh, Malcolm is just another one of those guys where he, not only is he a stud on the field, but my goodness, he is so busy. He is so involved in the community in, uh, like you said, social stuff. It's amazing. And he has just got his feelers out everywhere. And I love the CNN contributor, too. That's a great angle. So great interview with Malcolm. Yeah, I like when guys during their playing career or women understand the opportunities that they have in front of them and that they plan for post-career. And Malcolm Jenkins is doing that as well as anyone. I would even say he's like a mini Magic Johnson. You know, Magic Johnson is so well known now for being uh, a leader in the black and brown community when it comes to businesses. And I would say Malcolm Jenkins is in that same vein with what he's doing. And he's setting himself up really nicely after his football career. So really smart guy. Want to have him on for a long time. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation today. Griggs, I attended my first NBA basketball game in person in 15 months. I was in Denver recently and I went to the Denver Nuggets Brooklyn Nets game. It came down to the end. I saw Nikola Jokic, who many people think is the MVP And for the Nets, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, Blake Griffin, no James Harden. But uh, so many, I mean, first, it was just cool to be back at a game in person. Secondly, just so weird. So 4,000 people were allowed to attend the game. It would have usually been sold out. The Brooklyn Nets are one of the biggest draws in in the NBA for any home team. And then they were vaccinating people at the arena. So you go to the game and you can get a vaccination as well. But uh, just really interesting. That was the first time I've attended a sporting event since March of, of 2020. 
when everything shut down for COVID, I'm vaccinated now, fully vaccinated. So, you know, I felt comfortable going, but uh, Griggs, a different experience. 100%. And I've been watching those games. It's nice to see, even if there's only, you know, 1900, uh, like at the Blazer games, it's just nice to see people back in. You can tell the the fans are loving it. You can tell the teams are loving it when they come running out and they're pumping up, getting the crowd involved. And it's such a big aspect to uh, any sporting event. So it's so nice to see the NBA starting to welcome fans back. Yeah, we'll see. So there's a lot of reports out that for the NBA playoffs, home teams will be able to have more fans in attendance. So um, we'll see if the numbers get bumped up. And uh, But it was just interesting to be at a game during the pandemic and, uh, you know, seeing vaccinations and, and all that was going on, um, you know, not many people on the concourse. It was kind of nice to be able to move around a little bit more. And then, you know, I'll tell you what, Jokic is really good. But look, at the height of his powers when he's healthy, I'm taking Kevin Durant over just about anyone. I mean, he took over that game at the end. They just went to Kevin Durant. You forget how tall he is when you see him in person. And to see a guy that big doing what he does on the basketball court, he even was the main defender on Jokic in the, you know, possessions at the end of the game when they needed to stop Denver and, you know, win that game, they put Durant on Jokic as their best defender, which I'm not sure how well that's going to work in the playoffs. If you're trying to guard Joel Embiid with uh, Kevin Durant, but the point is Durant stepped up and, and it's just good to see him out there and healthy. First time seeing Steve Nash, who I've had on the show on the sidelines as a coach. Um, you see all the chairs spread out, not only on the bench area, but like in the end zone area, because there's just so much room. There's no seats that are close to the court. So uh, it was just a different experience. I mean, I never imagined that I'd attend a sporting event that looked quite like that. Yeah. And I love, like you said, having vaccinations there. I mean, why not? You know, let's get everybody vaccinated and let's uh, get more and more fans back in. And uh, yeah, I I agree with you too, though. Wandering around the concourse, you could probably go to the bathroom when you want, no lines, get food when you want, no lines. That's a good thing. Yeah. The biggest line, frankly, was into the team store. It was probably a 30 minute wait. Um, I didn't wait, but you know, the, the Nuggets have some pretty cool merchandise. Our friend Declan Bolger is the chief marketing officer there and responsible for a lot of their cool uniforms and their merchandise. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool to see that stuff, but I wasn't going to wait 30 minutes in line for it, but there was a line for the team store. So I think people still want that, that gear. All right. This week's power up premium trail mix power player of the week is Amber Sabathia. That name sounds familiar. Amber Sabathia is the wife of former Major League Baseball All-Star CeCe Sabathia. She joined CAA last week as an agent for their baseball division. So she's now going to be a CAA baseball agent. She previously served as the executive of the Pitch Foundation and has 20 years of experience in the business of baseball. Congratulations to Amber Sabathia on being the Power Up Power Player of the Week. Find more about Power Up at Power Up Snacks. Com. Griggs, uh, she's done a great job, obviously, kind of running the Sabathia household, like we said, running the Pitch Foundation. I think she'll do great as a baseball agent. That's a smart hire by CAA. Oh, it's a great fit. I mean, yeah, CAA got a gem there because look at the experience. I mean, man, 20 years and obviously with CC and just the, the know of baseball that she has, the knowledge, it's going to be great. Great fit. Well, she's got good in-house counsel. If she needs uh, a quick question answered, she can just go to CC <laughs> and say, hey, What do you think about this? And CeCe's been on this show. He was on in December. A great documentary 
under the grapefruit tree on HBL. But if you missed the conversation with CC Sabathia on Sports Business Radio from last December, I'd invite you to go into the archives, find those on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at sportsbusinessradio.com. All right, coming up next, Malcolm Jenkins, two-time Super Bowl champion, CEO of Malcolm Inc., strong safety for the New Orleans Saints. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This segment of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Power Up Premium Trail Mix. Forget the stale trail mixes with peanuts, raisins, and junk candy. Power Up is a trail mix brand that specially curates their mixes fresh with good-for-you quality ingredients that power you up with nutrients your body needs and flavors your taste buds crave. These premium trail mixes come in several varieties and can be eaten on the go wherever the day takes you. Fuel up like sports icons Lindsey Horan and the Washington Capitals. And find Power Up Nationwide at retailers on Amazon and at PowerUpSnacks.com. My guest is Malcolm Jenkins. He is a strong safety for the New Orleans Saints, a two-time Super Bowl champion. He won a Super Bowl with the Saints. He's won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles, three-time Pro Bowler, one of the great leaders in the NFL over the past decade. He's a contributor to CNN. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So I've been hosting this show for 17 years, and I got to tell you, I've interviewed a lot of athletes. I don't know that I've interviewed anyone who is on the ball like you are with everything that you're doing off the field business in the community. So I tip my hat to you for that. But let's start with where did that come from? Well, I think the the biggest thing for me is I watched my parents, you know, teach me lessons through action. I saw my dad really just give everything that he had to not only his three boys, but, you know, the other children in the neighborhood. And I saw the kind of impact that that had over time. And so, you know, that was a small investment by somebody with, you know, way less resources than me, a very smaller, substantially smaller platform than me, um, but had life changing impact on uh, the people that, that he extended himself to. And so for me, um, I grew up with that lesson to understand that my success is not enough. Is is not very beneficial to me or satisfying for me to make it to the top and be the only one there to celebrate. Uh, and so for me, I'm always looking for opportunities to not only advance myself, but create opportunities for others to to leverage their skills, leverage their capital and opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I just think that's an important cornerstone to all the work that I do. Yeah, we'll talk about some of your work specifically in a minute. But when you got into the NFL. Was there a player or a few players who kind of took you under their wing and said, this is the right way to do it? Well, I think they're, they're the lesson that I learned, and I think many guys in the NFL and professional athletes in general, um, it's a hard lesson to learn is that we don't talk about money enough. You know, I, I, was, I had the opportunity to be around. Uh, the first guy I got around was Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, before I even got into the league, I trained with him one summer, got to be at his house, and he's a guy who's been in you know, business, been in investing, uh, he's done a ton of things. Now is a part owner of, you know, an NBA team, you know, he's done some really great things. And it's, you, you realize that he's been an open book. 
but you got to ask the questions, right? You got to ask and, and, and be inquisitive. And I think not enough of us uh, do that, me included. And it wasn't until, you know, I made a little bit of money, outlived some of the mistakes that I made as a young uh, professional athlete that I really started to think long-term and, and, and really take control of my own finances. I think that's the first part is getting kind of uh, away from the, the taboo and the fears of just asking for help or asking what somebody's experience has been. Um, understanding that all of us are going pretty much through the same thing. I've had the same you know, experiences. Some have done good, some have done bad. Uh, all of those lessons are, are important for us to pass down, but we don't talk about it enough. So that was the biggest thing um, that I wish I would have done earlier is really just ask for help. Like, hey, Larry, you know, you've made a lot of money for a long time and have figured out how to use your celebrity as well, your social capital to create opportunities. Like, you know, how are you doing that? Who should I be talking to? What should I be looking at? Um, you know, all of those things, you know, I wish I had a little bit earlier and, and you know, I'm focused now on creating op opportunities and avenues to educate guys first so that they can kind of be in control of their own finances. So do you feel like these conversations are taking place more now in locker rooms? Like I, I've interviewed NBA guys and they say that they feel like those are conversations taking place more in their locker room. It used to be, you know, what kind of car are you driving? What kind of rims yeah. do you have? What kind of stereo system now? They're talking about investing together or starting yeah. businesses together. Yeah, I think you see it more in the NBA. Um, it's fewer of them and they have a little bit more access to a lot of those deals, uh, you know, especially you know, they have relationships with team owners where team owners will allow them to invest, you know, and be in their circles. That dynamic doesn't really exist in the NFL just yet. And so I think we're a little bit behind, which is the reason I'm so motivated to get guys thinking about it, because I do think that the NFL is, you know, every year we grow kind of our notoriety, new players in the, 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 the space that we take up, you know, in society grows every year. And I think um, athletes are definitely starting to move towards uh, their own power. But I want them to, to know that it's not just social capital that they're you know, raising, right? They're not just popular to be sponsors or, or to be, you know, in, or endorsements and things like that. But they can actually have equity and use that to to grow wealth and to move into doors that most of the times, you know, or any other time is going to be closed to African-American investors. Um, but because of who we are, we have an opportunity to move different. And it's just educating guys on what those opportunities look like, how to surround yourself. You know, what are the lessons about group economics? Right. And, and the dangers of doing it by yourself and what you can do together and how other people make money, uh, how to how to move from. The idea that you labor with your body for as long as you can, you save as much as you can, and then you see how long that lasts for you and your family. You know, that's that's not how anybody else makes life changing money. That's not how anybody else creates generational wealth. But those are the lessons that we've been we've been taught. We've been conditioned to work, play, play the sport as long as our bodies can do it. And then once we can't, you know, hopefully we've saved enough to live off of. And that's, you know, that's economic suicide if you're talking about longevity. And so we have to recondition the way we've been taught to look at, um, you know, our own leverage, but then also our finances. Let's talk about the announcement of Malcolm Inc. This has got to be a, a really proud time for you. You've got six different companies under the Malcolm Inc. umbrella, Broad Street Ventures, Disrupt Foods, ENR Real Estate Group, Listen Up Media, Damari and the Malcolm Jenkins Foundation. 
that's a lot of different companies. <laughs> Everyone's doing something different, but they're all under the Malcolm Inc. umbrella. First, I mean, my gosh, Malcolm, it's got to be such an amazing accomplishment for you that you've got these six companies under an umbrella that bears your name. Yeah, I think they're all extensions of me. I would say there's technically five companies. Broadstreet Ventures is, is an entity on its own. Um, but obviously, you know, was was kind of put together by myself and uh, Rolanda Johnson, uh, who was the general partner of it. But uh, all of these companies, you know, are extensions of myself, you know, whether it's the, the things that I do in the community, whether it's um, my business, Damari's fashion, uh, you have Listen Up uh, Media, which is, you know, my uh, creative kind of outlet doing films, documentaries, things like that. Disrupt Foods, we're doing uh, franchising uh, opportunities. And, and in all of those spaces, it's, it really comes down to creating generational wealth, right? Not only for myself, but being able to create opportunities for others. So being able to create space for Rolanda Johnson to be, you know, the, the CFO and, and Joe Johnson to, to take over all of the things, uh, the operating of all of our um, uh, restaurants and, and franchising and real estate. Um, it's creating opportunities for other people. India Robertson is, is the CEO or the president of uh, Listen Up Media. You know? And so to be able to employ those people who are closest to me, these are lifelong friends that I've had, uh, means a lot as well. So to have an executive team that all looks like me, um, it's not only just about the creation of you know, my company and my namesake, but what that means from a legacy uh, standpoint for those around me. When you were growing up and coming up, you know, some of the people that you just mentioned that have been friends of yours. Did you guys ever dream that this was possible? No, to be, I mean, to be honest, no. Um, it wasn't until, you know, um, probably my second year in the NFL, uh, myself and Rolanda Johnson, we've known each other literally since preschool. Wow. Um, you know, she's like, hey, you should be thinking about real estate. And now then I bought my first piece of real estate and a few years later. So you should be thinking about franchising, got into franchising. Um, And then it got to the point where they're, you know, they're making, they're earning, you know, their corporate jobs. They're they're doing a great job. They're moving up in the ranks, but they're earning somebody else some money. Right. And, and I have all these things that I want to do, but it's getting a little bit too big for me to manage. Um, And so to be able to have people that, you know, are qualified to do work that, you know, have the experience that you can trust, to come on and you partner up to do things together um, where we're all kind of using our skill sets to, to, to elevate the collective um, that, that, that kind of that tribe mentality Mm -hmm. is something that I've dreamed of. That's, that's something that my dad taught me and I never knew what it looked like from a business standpoint. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to be here now is definitely a proud moment to be able, um, like I said, to not only to, to get to this place myself, but to be able to bring, those I love with me and create opportunities for people who look like me in my community. You play on a football team. Business is also like being part of a team, right? And, mm-hmm. and you're such a leader on the football field. I see that with you in the business world and in the community world as well. Do you think some of the skills that you've learned from sports and playing on a team have translated for you in the business world? hundred percent. I think it's the same. I've been a captain on almost every team I've been on. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest things I've learned from being uh, in a leadership position is all the time is that the best leaders uh, tend to follow the best and listen the best and, and know that they aren't 
the most talented and everybody's role is essential to the success of everybody. Um, and so, you know, that, like I said, I, I enjoy putting other people and delegating them to be responsible for, you know, for the execution. And for me, it's just, then my goal is just the vision. How do I keep us all focused on, you know, the voice of our businesses, the purpose, you know, what is it, what is the impact that we want to have and get accomplished and then allow them to do what they do best to execute that idea that when we started to align ourselves in that function, in that way, uh, things, you know, really just started to take off. And, and so we've been excited to grow and, and create not only, like I said, the, the vehicles for us to, to win, but how do we then take those same access, those same doors that we're kicking open? How do we prop them open for others to come in and, and, and be able to share in the same success that we're having? All right, let's go through some of your, your ventures. Uh, Broad Street Ventures, the only athlete-led venture capital firm fully funded by black and brown investors. I know uh, Jacoby Brissett, others are coming on board. How do you get people involved? What are you investing in? Tell us a little bit about Broad Street Ventures. Yeah, so Broad Street Ventures, you know, again, came from the idea of, you know, how are other people making money outside of labor? Uh, and you look at, you know, venture capital in, in that space, investing in, in companies. And we looked at Rashawn Williams as somebody in the in the space who's been doing a lot. He helped Nas, the rapper Nas, start uh, Queensbridge Ventures, which made Nas way more money than his him ever rapping. Right. And so as an athlete, I'm looking at the same thing. How do I make more money off the field than I have on the field? Um, and so we reached out to Rashawn, uh, Rolanda and myself went to his house and he had a, a free seminar. We just kind of went down, you know, what is the VC? What is uh, what are the strategies and things like that? Um, and fast forward, he I had a vision for how do I create this for black athletes and, you know, and entertainers? How do we collectively, you know, use our money? Because I know I've invested in, in one-off companies by myself. You cut a big check, 90% chance or higher that it's going to fail. You don't have anybody to do due diligence for you. You know, you don't know the questions to ask. Um, and so not only do we create opportunities for guys to be able to invest and, and, and participate and collect in group uh, economics, but the education piece is the, really the main piece that I want. We don't pressure anybody to give us money but we hold seminars, the same kind of seminars I went through to give guys the exposure to this space. This is what, you know, VC is. These, these are our strategies. Here are companies that we're already in. Um, so our fund, we opened it up in October and uh, we're in 10 companies already. Um, uh, we were in Airbnb, which made an exit last year. Wow. So that was a great, yeah. That, so, you know, Good we haven't closed there. the fund. <laughs> right, yeah. We got a uh, Noble, um, um, uh, Dapper Labs, Toro, and, and a few others. Um, and we, we plan on a few of those other companies making exits by, uh, by, by the end of the year. And so we're going to close that fund in the next six months. And so the biggest thing is just trying to make people aware, get them educated about the space, the opportunities that are out there, what the strategies are, and understanding that we as athletes have the ability to get into some of the best deals that are out there because of who we are. They, you know, companies want to have smart money, not just the dollars, but who we are, the social leverage and capital that we have as athletes and entertainers brings, you know, a certain amount of opportunity. And so we can get into the best deals, you know, instead of the, the ones that come to us from, you know, friends, family. Um, and then once we secure those things, the next focus in how do we take that, those returns and push them back into black and brown companies, and, you know, who need startup money, who need investors. 
how do we how do we then help in that space as well? Um, but we first have to we have to secure the gains <laughs> to to do that. And so that's the biggest thing with Broad Street Ventures, educating the the black and brown entertainment um, uh, investors and, and showing them what to do. But then secondly, uh, giving them real opportunities. So if you invest in our fund, you are automatically in ten different companies, one of which has already made an exit. So um, you know that's those are the type of opportunities that I want to bring to my peers. That's great. I mean, I've had Andre Iguodala on. And the way he basically put it is, if you can hit on two or three out of 10 investments, it's just like a baseball player, right? You're batting 300. You're doing really well. You don't hit on all of them. But, you know, you you take your chances and you do your due diligence. But I love the fact that, you know, you're involving others and you've got a good portfolio across different companies. And Airbnb, that that was really good timing. (laughs) Yes, it was. Yeah, We we were happy about that one for sure. Let's talk about disrupt foods because there's an industry that a lot of athletes get into, um, but that's not an easy business, but it seems like you're doing well in that space. And again, you're bringing others with you into the space. Tell us a little bit about disrupt foods. Yeah. So disrupt foods is, is uh, where we focus on our franchising. Uh, most of, most of which um, have been in quick service restaurants. Um, and so, you know, what we've learned is that or what I've learned, you know, as an athlete in this space is that this is an operations business, right? It's not a, it's not something you put your money into and it just automatically comes back. This is solely based off of operations. Um, and Joe Johnson, uh, who who runs all of the operations on that side for me, uh, has had, has a ton of experience in the business and has really been taking the, the, the restaurants we've had and growing them. So we have an opportunity to acquire about 11 more um, quick service restaurants on the, the East Coast. And what we're trying to do is similar to what we're doing with Broad Street Ventures is to open that up to, to athletes who may be, you know, who, who may be um, um, trying to get into franchising. With Athletes Franchising Partners is, is the fund we're trying to create where guys only have to put their money into it and they automatically become a franchise. And we work on and, and handle all of the operations uh, for those stores. Like I said, we have a track record. We already have 12 stores under our belt and trying to get to 30 um, by the end of 2025. And we want to do that by giving guys access to be able to invest, put their money into it, uh, knowing that in the franchise space, only about 15% of franchisees are African-American. And it's way lower than that when you, when you get to quick service restaurants. Um, and so even some of the spaces we've been in, you know, there's been only, you know, five or six, a handful of others black franchisees in the entire company. So there's a huge space for us to, to be able to, I think, um, move into some things that we can kick doors open and, and give guys, again, exposure to, um, you know, another uh, a style of investment without having to worry so much about the operations. Are there any specific restaurants that you're invested in that you can talk about or are you still looking into that? Yeah, so right now we have um, 12, unit, uh, 12 restaurants uh, under Papa John's franchises. Um, but when we create the fund, the Athletes Franchise um, Fund, um, we're going to, that'll be open up to uh, many quick service restaurants. Um, you know, that, that, that won't be just one franchise. We're looking for opportunities to, to grow. But we obviously already have our foot in the door uh, with Papa John's. I mean, I look at Papa John's, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't that, isn't Shaquille O'Neal part of Papa John's? And, and do you yeah. know Shaq? Have you guys talked about this? Yeah, we have. I mean, we've been with Papa John's for 
a few years, even like we got into Papa John's right before they, you know, hit the former CEO, got to talking really crazy and the company struggled for a little bit. Um, but our stores performed, you know, even in that turmoil, performed probably better than a lot of stores. Um, and we're, we were fresh into it. And now, you know, here we are on the next turn of it. You get shacked into it. They change a lot of he changes a lot of the culture, not only from just being a franchisee, but some of their uh, community uh, efforts. And then him being on the board uh, was very, very uh, important, especially even to me as a franchisee to be reinvested into that brand. And since then, has taken that brand and really elevated it. And when we look at franchising, uh, one of the unique things that I like about it is there are so many different there are so many there are so few, very few black franchisees out there. But the majority, I feel like, of the workers oftentimes are black and brown, right? And the stores are oftentimes in black and brown communities. And so how we get an opportunity to affect, um, you know, the, the workers, you know, who and create jobs in our, in our, um, in our own communities and, and be the bosses, right? And, and make sure that we take care of people and we create opportunities for people not only to, to work and to manage or but how do they move from a manager standpoint or a position up to an ownership? You know, how do we get them to, to elevate to be franchisees? Those are all things that, that we're thinking about and in, in, in weighing as we move into the franchise space. I love it. Uh, Listen Up Media, your content company. What are you working on there? Because, you know, I'm reading things that you're working on and it sounds like you've got some exciting projects in the works. Yeah, um, the we the first project we were able to get on uh, was a documentary. Black Boys is streaming now on Peacock. That was I was really proud of that piece. Cameron as an executive director, and one of the things that we're working on now is I did a fellowship uh, at Harvard last year, um, and one of the things that I studied was the wealth gap between African Americans and uh, white Americans. Knowing that on average, uh, white Americans have about ten times the net worth of African Americans and, and understanding what does that look like throughout history? Um, you know, how do we get here today? And so I'm working mm-hmm. on a docu-series now um, where we explore the wealth gap between African Americans and, and white Americans over, over that span time of American history. Um, and, and that's something I found uh, uh, gave me great understanding. It's obviously a huge motivator for why I'm moving in, in this space now and, and, and we're picking up the narratives that we are is because you see how you know, we can I've have a foundation since 2010. I've done a ton of charity work. But what you realize is when you create programs, you your kids and you come to your programs and they go back to the environments that they came from. The only way to really truly bring justice and, and equality uh, to our country is to is to change the environments in which those youth come from. Um, and to do that, you need there's no way to do that without, you know, creating financial stability, without creating generational wealth, jobs, opportunities. Um, and creating a financially stable, um, you know, um, uh, citizen. And so those are all the things that, that we're trying to do. And even on Listen Up, you know, it's, it's a creative branch for me to be able to um, speak, you know, and, and use my voice in the most effective way. I think I've always been exposed to sports media outlets or social media, and you just really can't have true dialogue or long drawn out ideas or well-vetted, you know, thoughts uh, in those spaces. And so this is a way for me to own my own voice, to put out my own narratives, to tell the stories that I want to tell um, that I think, you know, uh, need to be told um, from an education standpoint, but even from uh, just just documenting uh, 
our existence and our voice is important to do through film. I've seen you on CNN. I think you do an outstanding job as a contributor. Has that experience helped you a little bit with your content company? And, you know, I, I look at your former teammate, Drew Brees, who's off to NBC. And I've looked at you many times and said, I think Malcolm could be a really good uh, contributor, you know, to a sports network when you're done. Are those things that interest you? Yeah, they definitely they definitely interest me. And, and there are some opportunities um, out there. You know, obviously, I went to school for um, uh, strategic communication. So, you know, dealing with the media and, and, and analyzing, especially football, is very easy for me. Like, I love to talk about, you know, ball. Um, but even contributing to CNN this past year has been uh, a unique situation for me. It's the first time I really have give, been given a platform to speak, you know, in, in a political, you know, space where it's not sports, where I'm not the smartest person you know, on, the, on the microphone. And that's, but it's been great for me too, to be able to really think about how to use my voice in, in the most effective way. You know, I take that, that platform very serious so that when I do show up, I'm saying something that's meaningful and that I think will, you know, will age well over time. Um, you know, and so, I think that is giving me a lot of practice to really figure out my voice and it's helped frame some things for me and what, what I want to do with Listen Up Media. You've done a tremendous amount of work in the community, as you were saying, both through your foundation, but you know, I look what you're doing on the, the social justice front. And again, I tip my hat to you because you're not just you know, speaking on TV, you're going to meetings, you're rolling up your sleeves and, and you're, you're on the front lines of this. I had Emmanuel Ocho on recently how are we doing? Because, you know, we see the, the shooting in Minnesota this week that was so unnecessary. And I feel like every time we're taking a few steps forward, we take 10 steps backwards. How are we doing with progress here? Um, I don't think that we're doing well. I think that um, oftentimes in this space, we get caught up in the pageantry of change and not the actual work of change. Um, so, you know, there has been a ton of companies and um, sports leagues and voices that have all come out, you know, they can condemn the violence. We can make banners and slogans and hashtags and, and all feel good because we've verbally put ourselves on the right side of history. But when we look at what has gone into, uh, you know, the changes in policy that, you know, will eliminate the, the victims that we constantly see. None of that has been really put, you know, into the fire. None of that has been abandoned. Um, we, we still are, are, you know, debating, you know, right now, even, you know, the George Floyd trial, you know, in, uh, in progress, we, we are still seeing that we are divided on um, the idea of policing. And that's, that's a lot of work that I'm still doing and trying to focus in Philadelphia uh, right now as they you know, try to figure out or introduce a policy that would create an oversight board, a community oversight board that actually has teeth and can hold uh, police accountable. Those type of things, you know, which seem like no brainers, right? You would want your community to be able to hold the, the police departments that they pay taxes to accountable. Um, those things are not in place right now. And there's actually a huge opposition uh, to keep it that way. And, and the hard part, uh, about all of it is that there is growing violence right now around the country and everybody wants to feel safe no matter what community you live in 
but the trust with black Americans and the, the police just haven't, you know, hasn't been uh, earned and has been really chiseled away over decades. And it doesn't make it better when the when solutions are kind of put on the table to to add up some more accountability so that people can restore trust. Um, if there's no accountability, that trust will never be restored. And then it's hard for officers to actually go and clean up neighborhoods that are riddled with violence because you don't have people who are participating. You don't feel like the community doesn't feel like the police will protect them, uh, nor do they have the best interest of uh, the community in mind. And, and that just creates a cycle in which, you know, poverty over policing and violence uh, tears, tears black and brown communities apart. Is the NFL doing a better job at supporting your efforts? You know, again, Roger Goodell comes out last year after the George Floyd killing and, you know, we need to do better. And I'm hearing rhetoric. Are they doing better? I mean, I'm not behind the scenes like you. So I I don't know if it's rhetoric or if it's action. Well, I think the NFL players are doing a great job when it comes to the work that needs to be done and some of the advocacy. I think you see guys doing more than just social media and just, you know, and and just speaking up, but actually getting out there and affecting local and and state politics um, or providing some kind of, you know, resource to those who are fighting for it. I think the NFL has done a a good job when it comes to cutting checks. Um, But when it comes to the potential of a league like the NFL and the influence, I think they sometimes, not sometimes, I think they fall short. Um, you hear Roger Goodell make the statements that need to be said, but oftentimes it's never a proactive statement. It's always reactionary and kind of late to the party. Um, but more importantly, you don't really hear many of the NFL owners uh, or team owners being active. And I think those are the guys who have the most power, especially politically, um, to really push um, on these state and local you know, politics. You look at what the NBA did with the All-Star game and moving it from Atlanta. Uh, or, or I think it was the NBA or whoever, whatever league it was who moved it from Atlanta. That is, that is significant. You, you are, you are taking your business and, and, you know, moving it in, in a way that affects local politics. I think that is, that is where the potential of these leagues, you know, have. And I think if that is the bar, then the, the then our league has fallen short, but I also have a very high standard for, um, for people who have true potential. Few minutes left before I let you go. You're a fashion guy. I mean, I see your fits, and and they are a plus. Uh, Damari is a company that you have. Tell our listeners about that and how you got involved in that. It seems like that's a passion of yours. So I bet it's fun to to be the head of that company. Yeah, it's definitely a passion project of mine. Um, I started Damari uh, probably five years ago. It's going fast. Um, and and it's a uh, custom clothier. So we make custom um, clothes for men and women, uh, mainly uh, suits, uh, but are branching out into other uh, a larger product offering to some more casual wear. But it's, it's essentially, you know, I feel like your clothes, or at least for me and where I grew up, your mm-hmm. clothes and your style has always been a form of self-expression. And so for me, it's the way that I, you know, express myself. I, I feel the way I dress. Um, and I've always, um, you know, enjoyed putting those things together. So to be able to put my hand into designing where I get to make all of the clothes that I wear, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. And being able to, to bring on some other designers that I think are, you know, up and coming, that are really doing some cool things, 
We've done everything from red carpet looks for celebrities to um, to guys in the NBA, the NFL, um, MLB. Um, you know, we've got you know a ton of guys, even just you know local patrons and, and weddings and things like that. We've been able to service people um, from all over uh, through this and be able. And I always talk about the difference between fashion and style. I'm not huge into fashion, you know, the trends, the the things that everybody wants to get on, but I am very focused and I enjoy helping people find their style. And what I mean by that is helping them find their voice, what's comfortable on them, what helps them feel like the best version of themselves um, and not the best version of what they saw somebody else wear. And I think that part to me is is really the part that I enjoy um, is, is getting in with a client, getting them to stretch themselves just a little bit, but really stay within, you know, the the confines of who they are as a person and find their voices uh, through their clothes. Uh, 17th game added to the NFL schedule. You know, it's, a, it's another opportunity for players to get injured, but it is a little bit more money for everyone as part of the new collective bargaining agreement. What do you think of game 17? Well, I think, you know, the players have spoken, you know, it was a lot of going back and forth uh, players spend a lot of time on weighing the options as to, you know, what are the, the health and safety, you know, aspects of at playing a 17 game, but what are also the business, you know, and, and monetary gains uh, to playing a 17 game. And I think um, when we went to a vote, the vote passed that we want to go to a new 17 game. Then I came with a lot of new benefits that came with guys getting compensated for that, that 17 game. Um, and then hopefully everybody after that negotiates with the 17 game, you know, in mind. Um, but in hindsight, you know, I, that was before, that was all pre-COVID. You know, after we signed that first collective uh, bargaining agreement, we went into COVID and then you have uh, a year where revenues dip um, and we're spreading that loss, you know, across the next few years as players. So to have the TV deals that have come in and a 17 game that's going to add some more revenue to it, I think helps from a business standpoint of recovering from a year where revenue was down. Um, so while nobody really wants to play more, um, I think players, again, it went through our democratic process. It got passed. Um, so that is what it is. But we we made sure that we secured uh, an, an increase in benefits, a significant increase in benefits, an increase in salary. Uh, minimums went up. Guys are getting compensated for that 17 game. Um, and moving forward, like I said, recovering from what was a, a down year uh, because of COVID, having this new strand of revenue definitely helps. Last question for you. Drew Brees retired. I know he was a, a leader and a Hall of Fame voice in that locker room. Now the dynamics of the locker room change. You've always been a great leader. You pointed out earlier, you've been captain on most every team you've been on. How does the dynamics of the Saints locker room change now that Drew Brees has moved on? Yeah, I mean, you know, Drew's been in that locker room since I've been in the NFL. So to, to imagine the Saints locker room, at least for me, without Drew Brees, you know, takes a little bit of a stretch of the imagination. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the reality is that there are, you know, qualified leaders on the team um, that will take over. You know, I think DeMario Davis being, you know, kind of the, the A1 uh, kind of guy in the locker room, um, just always a great voice, you know, in leading guys on both ends of the ball or really all three phases of the game. Uh, great rapport with the coaches. Uh, Cam Jordan is a guy who's been with the Saints his entire career. Um, quality, you know, high quality player, but also a great leader. 
Um, we lost Thomas Morstead, uh, who was one of our captains as well. Um, and he'd been in, he was my draft class in 2009. He got saying, so losing him, Andrew, I think will be uh, big, but guys like myself, Toronto, Armstead, a few other captains, and, and there are going to be some new captains, you know, that, that come up. <laughs> and that's, I think that's the exciting part. Like, you know, what, it, what, what, what do you get from a Jameis Winston, right? What do you get from some of the younger players that are now going to be pushed into that, that, that uh, role of being a leader? All right, I got to ask you this. It just popped into my head. So I see news yesterday. There's going to be a movie about Sean Payton and the person playing him is Kevin James, who I just don't see Kevin James as Sean Payton. Like, if you just look at them, they don't look at all alike. And he's been in, like, Paul Blart, Mall Cop. And, and I, what did you think when you saw that? Were you like, what? Uh with Sean, it's hard. You can't predict anything with Sean. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the end, what the end result will be. I'm sure if it's a, a story about Sean Payton, it'll be an entertaining one for sure. Malcolm Jenkins, New Orleans Saints, two-time Super Bowl champion, the head of Malcolm Inc. Congratulations. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram, at Malcolm Jenkins. Like I said at the beginning, I've wanted to have you on for a long time. I think you were doing A-plus work in our world. Thank you. Keep it up and uh, best of success to you. I appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Sports Business Radio host Brian Berger here. The wait is finally over. Sports Business Radio merchandise has finally arrived. We're working with our friends at the Parish Project to provide you with the opportunity to buy Really quality sports business radio merchandise. We've started with long sleeve t-shirts and short sleeve t-shirts. They come in five different colors each, a variety of sizes. I love my shirts. And soon, we're going to have hoodies to offer as well, hooded sweatshirts. I know a lot of you are wearing hooded sweatshirts while you're working from home these days. But whether you're working out, just lounging around the house, or doing whatever you're doing, you can rock Sports Business Radio merchandise. I think you're going to love it. Go to parishproject.com. That's P-A-R-I-S-H project.com. Parishproject.com. And you can order your Sports Business Radio merchandise today. We appreciate your support. And uh, send us your best picture. Tweet it to us at SB Radio. Or also, you can get us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. We look forward to seeing you rocking that sports business radio merchandise. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M A L K A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.